Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. John Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hello there. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tawny. Wow, it's been a while. It's been a while. No, I know. Well, look, I can't help it. I know. <laughs> That's just in my brain. There's it really nothing. is. It's, Where it's did either... it start? Well, it started with Stained, of course. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I, I, I know the originators. Where did the, 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 the tick <laughs> that you have start where if someone says those words, you have to sing it? That came from Comedy Bang Bang, mm-hmm. which also gave me uh, the horrible tick of if someone says it's been and there's even the slightest pause. Before mm-hmm. they continue their sentence, mm-hmm. I have to say, it's been a la yeah. Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah. Those things are good to have in an adult brain, I think. <laughs> Those little moments where yes. you can't help. It's all part of the checklist. <laughs> things that are good to have in an adult brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? We're back. This is Star Trek The Pod Directive. This yep. is how it begins. Season two. This is how it begins. We know that you've missed this, especially. Maybe you've missed the Star Trek talk, but what you've definitely missed is the non-Star Trek That's talk. That's right, of course. But I look, I could I could talk about Star Trek all on my own. I need to hear people not talking about Star Trek for a change. Exactly. Look, you turn on a podcast that says, Hey, I'm the official Star Trek podcast. Of course you're gonna want to hear some Star Trek. What we do is we think outside the box. That's we right. also give you uh, just a bunch of meaningless banter up top. My name is Tawny Newsom. My name is Paul F. Tompkins, and we are um, your hosts for this podcast. Welcome old listeners. Welcome new listeners. Uh, we're going to just get into all sorts of stuff. We have a great season this year um, with uh, lots of fun guests. This was really cool. We got to talk to some really cool people. We really did. Now, um, I have a question, Paul, uh, uh, yes, as a new, new listener. Yes, yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for calling. On me. I, I have time for two more. Okay, uh, I'll try to, I'll think of another one. Um, (laughs) New listener here. Do I have to have listened to season one of the pod directive in order to get what's going on in season two? You know, that's a great question, new listener. And we're grateful for people like you who ask such questions. Um, No, you don't. This is not a narrative podcast. So you can jump in literally (laughs) any episode and you do not need to know anything that happened before on the podcast. You don't even need to know what happened before on Star Trek. We will just talk about whatever and we'll fill you in as we go along. And, you know, it doesn't you don't you don't need to be deeply entrenched in it and you don't need to be completely ignorant of it. It's 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 for everyone. It's for everyone. Uh, Excuse me. I have a question. Uh, Old listener here. Different person. Yes. Yeah. Old listener. Yeah. I have a mustache. Um, (laughs) You're you're an elderly listener. (laughs) Oh, it's chilly in here. Um, (laughs) 
Paul, uh, what if I did listen to all the episodes of season one? Are these just going to be redos of that? <laughs> no, that's an excellent question. And we thank you. Uh, and uh, of course, we're grateful you for listening to the podcast. Uh, no, these will be not just uh, us re- <laughs> doing transcripts of the previous episode of the previous season. We will These will be all new, uh, okay. new guests, new conversations. Uh, same old hosts, though. Oh, oh, okay. So the hosts are the same. We're the same people from before. Yes. Okay. That was going to be my third question. <laughs> okay. Good. I'm glad I was able to head that one off at the pass. <laughs> oh, Paul, I agree with you. Now I'm back to being Tawny. Um, <laughs> I agree with you that this was very fun. I loved the people we got to speak to. I love the wide range of types of fans that we got to talk mm-hmm. to. Um, because I, I like hearing people on different places in this little journey, you know, whether they're we talked to some people who are kind of brand new to Trek. We talked to some people who are longtime Trek fans and everything in between. And I don't know. It, it gives me excitement to talk to people like where, wherever they are in their in their love. We try to meet them where they are. That's true. <laughs> That's we come you to do. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and it was great to uh, to have this time to spend with you, my friend, because we're still in a good old quarantine and uh, we're still looking at each other through screens. Um, but uh, I'm glad to have had this um, experience because we all need stuff like this, you know, as, as a podcast, yeah. not just creator, but also consumer um, you, you visit with your audio friends uh, uh, week after week. And it really, it really helps. It really does help. So hopefully yeah. we're doing that for somebody out there. Um, and we're very glad to be, to be back doing it. Yeah, it's so true. Like recording a pod is like social friend time, especially Mm. in a town and a business where you don't often get a lot of, yeah, scheduling like hangouts feels like such a luxury because everyone's time is so pressed and erratic. So yeah, it was nice to have this time to hang with my friend, Paul. I hope the listeners feel like they're our friends. You're at our, our friend time hang party. Guys, I don't know if you realize this. You're at our friend time hang party. I know it rolls off the tongue, and it's such a catchy way to say it. Uh, the FDHP. Feel feel free to use that about town. Yeah, just say, oh, sorry, I can't talk to you right now. I have to go to an FDHP. I'm yep. sorry, what? Oh, a friend time hang party. Uh, a friend time hang party with TNP. <laughs> FDHP with TNP. Um, so you do get to say that. Uh, you do get to tell that to your boss is why you're not coming into work. Uh, it is illegal. It's a national holiday. <laughs> tell your boss. <laughs> I can't. I can't watch your screen today, boss. I have. I have to. I have to listen to a thing. I have to listen to a thing, and it's a whole thing I got to do. I am curious. Um, maybe y'all want to hit us up with some uh some tweets or some comments about what do you do when you listen to this podcast? I have certain podcasts that I listen to, and I love to do a task while I'm doing it. Yes. I have some that I'm like, ooh, I want to be on a walk for this. Yeah. I have some that I have to just lay down prone because <laughs> I will be laughing so hard I cannot trust myself to do anything. Um. Yeah. I. I, it's funny because we we drive so much here in LA and driving was a big podcast listen time for me. And now I still have my shows that I listen to and I listen to a lot of podcasts, but it really is like, it's it helps me get things done around the house. Otherwise mm-hmm. I would just sit and stare at a wall and wonder <laughs> when this is all going to be over. <laughs> you mean uh, your time on this earth. <laughs> That's exactly right. Just shoveling popcorn into my face, <laughs> saying, when will God call me home? <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> season that two. Really got me. <laughs> season two, starting off morbid. Um, <laughs> no, but I will say that we are recording these little intro tidbits closer to the time that we recorded the interviews. So I think, I feel like last season we were doing a lot of like, Hey, y'all, it was the before times. The tone was wildly different. (laughs) Shit's weird now. I'm so sorry if this is jarring. Um, Now, I I think things will be maybe slightly less disjointed and feel a bit more, um, you know, we'll we'll all feel like we're kind of in the same in the same sort of vibe. But um, uh, it was interesting to do this season where everything was done remotely as opposed to before where we had a lot of in-person interviews. I feel like people have just gotten used to podcasting remotely now mm-hmm. and it's it's not as weird as it was even four or five months ago yeah it was uh, it, it was surprising how many people uh that we interviewed uh already had microphones in their homes <laughs> yeah <laughs> which would not have it's been a really thing changed. a year ago yeah no no not at all i like it as a audio recording nerd i like that everybody's got a little mic now me Everyone too can do a little show me too. isn't it cute yeah it's a oh it's adorable tawny <laughs> Um, so this season, we, again, we, we looked back at some specific episodes. We watched some movies this time. Um, this first episode here, we are talking with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson about the Wrath of Khan and mm-hmm. who boy, I don't think I'd ever seen Wrath of Khan in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was quite a ride for me. What a thrilling film. Uh, yeah. it made all of the, the memes that I've got absorbed in my, you know, pop culture consciousness make more sense now, like seeing where they came from. Ooh, William Shatner shouting gif. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul and Amy host the podcast uh, Unspooled, which uh, started as a look at the AFI top 100 films list. And now that they've done that, they're uh, continuing to look at great films that are not on that list. And Amy has been a film critic for a number of publications, LA Weekly, The Guardian, many more. Um, So she's got a literal critical eye uh, and has watched a ton of films. And Paul Shear also has a podcast, maybe you know, called How Did This Get Made, where he watches very terrible movies and (laughs) dunks on them for an hour and a half. And it's a damn delight. Um, A perfect combination. Yes. A perfect combo to watch this absolute epic. And uh, Paul is such a fan, as you'll hear in our interview with him, that yeah, it's just his his love of all things Trek and especially Khan really comes through. Yeah. It, yeah, it was a very important movie for him. <laughs> it was very formative for him, I think. <laughs> um, but it was it was great to talk to them about it from a movie making perspective, not just the canon and everything and the Star Trek of it all, but just how how does this movie work as a movie? And uh, yeah, it was a really fun discussion about a really fun movie. That's a great point. Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, when we talk to all these extreme fans we're we're sort of having these in canon conversations where we're talking about the world like a little bit as though it's real like we're talking about what happened chronologically or who did what to whom and then to also be able to which Paul and Amy were able to do very well but then also to be able to step outside of it like you said and talk about the what just makes a great film uh really helped me understand why I liked it so much because yeah. sometimes I'll just watch a movie and be like that was good or that was bad. <laughs> so it's nice to have like intelligent reasons for why I feel that way. <laughs> the two movie verdicts. <laughs> Should I be a film critic? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Good and Bad with Tony Newsom. <laughs> um, and, and because Amy was not a Trek fan, she's not overly familiar with Trek. It was great to get her perspective on it just purely as a film. Um, but it's, you know, it is that weird thing of, 
it it so permeated the culture. You know, even if you've never watched Star Trek, you know what Star Trek is, and you know character names and stuff like that. It's 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 always fun to get that perspective too. So here is our discussion of Star Trek Two: colon, The Wrath of Khan, with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson. When we come back, you will have heard something. An ad. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Wait, we got to figure out how we refer to y'all when you're on a Call pod together. What do we do? I'm sure. PFT, baby. Come yeah. on. Oh, okay, so nobody's just Paul. I can um, be just Paul. I'm, I'll be just Paul. I love it. Can I be Paul too? Yeah, we're all Paul. We're you all Paul what? today. Yeah. This is a good place to start <laughs> today, the podcast. We are all Paul. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're all Paul. No one's not Paul here. Even though one person here is Amy Nicholson and I am Tawny Newsome, everyone else is a Paul. Is that's that right. accurate? Yes, that's completely yeah, that's accurate. True. Well done. I'm Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> <laughs> and I am a Paul Shear. A Paul Shear. Oh. Paul Shear, what is behind you? It looks like those people are in your home. <laughs> Oh, yes, it's our uh, old friend Khan. Oh, it's Khan. It's Khan's ship. Yes, it's Khan's ship that he took over from uh, Captain Terrell. And uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> on the deck with some of my favorite peeps. It's Khan and his gang of Kevin Sorbos and Stevie Nixes. By the way, I have to say, the person who gets, uh, the person who I love the most, uh, I believe his name is Ike Eisenman, who plays Preston. I don't know if you'd ever know his name, but he is the guy with the with the long flowing hair. Like He looks like he should have been the bad guy in this like he's the young sexy uh guy and Paul, uh, i love i hate him. to yeah. correct you preston yeah. preston was the young engineering cadet who died oh you're right i'm so sorry oh, you're oh, thinking of you're... joachim is that his name <laughs> yes <laughs> i really don't know anybody's for a movie that i've seen so much very hard to remember anyone's name uh, i have a uh, on on con ship they all kind of fall uh by the wayside I mean, that's much better than saying you prefer people dead. That you think that that's when they're, they're sexiest people. <laughs> I was going to say that it's hard to know people's names. It is because it's a bit distracting. Everyone's vaguely sexy. Everyone kind mm-hmm. of looks like they're both in the band Heart and also the movie Cats, which yes. we were just talking about off mic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. like the, the costume and hair design in Wrath of Khan is all a little vaguely Cats and rock band Heart. Uh, so, yeah, it's hard to tell folks mm-hmm. apart. And a little bit Hillary Clinton. This watch, I really thought that Khan's <laughs> hair was completely Hillary Clinton oh, out. Man, oh man! It it's I I saw this movie in the theaters when I was a kid, and it was very exciting to me. And you know, I had because I had watched TOS as a as a child in reruns. I saw the, the Star Trek the Motion Picture in theaters. Wanted to like it so much, yeah. but it, I w- it was strange. It was exciting to see everybody again, but it was strange that everyone was in pajamas and then the movie was kind of dull. Um, and this one was night and day. Like this was really, it was really exciting. It was really fun. Um, and I remember, I remembered Khan in the movie looking a lot cooler than on this uh, rewatch. <laughs> it was uh, it was a different experience for me, um, but still, it was it was fun to revisit this movie. Now, Amy, you had never seen this, is that correct? I have, I have. You but have I'm, seen it. This this is probably the only Star Trek movie that I know really well. This uh-huh. is the one that I've seen the most, and the other the rest of them, 
I'm very vague. I forget which one has the whales, which I'm sure is a crime. Star Trek you've, you've actually Voyage named home. it. It's called the one with the whales. I don't care what its other name is. I refuse to learn oh, it. Blasphemy, all that matters blasphemy, the one blasphemy, please. Do yeah. not disparage two of the best. Yeah, but Khan is the one that that scarred me for life as a child, and therefore it is always one that I deeply remember. It. My parents were not movie people, but one time they had friends over when I was little, and they were watching Wrath of Khan in the living room, and I walked in only to see what I call the earwig scene, you know, yeah. the oh, creature yeah. calling yes. out of the ear. And I immediately walked in the kitchen and there was one of those on the floor and I lost my mind. And so oh my Khan has been very tied with me and my fear of insects <laughs> since I was little. <laughs> Amy, what was your first contact with Trek, any Trek? I mean, this is going to expose me as such a cat freak. But when I was little, my parents showed me the Trouble with Tribbles episode because I was just into all things like furry and crazy. And so I think it was kind of a warning, like, don't get too many cats. We're like a a max two cat household. Um, But that I I, so I think part of me always thought of Star Trek as like this cuddly cute show before I really got to watch more of it. Like the Tribbles as your introduction is maybe a little off base. Sure. That makes sense, though. Oh, I love the trouble with triples as a cautionary tale of getting too many pets. <laughs> uh, we had we had a ridiculous amount of pets. <laughs> How many is a ridiculous amount? Well, I mean, I think it was like the broadness of our bench. You know, we had like cats, fish, uh, many types of fish, like four aquariums, hamsters, wow. rabbits, uh, and parakeets. And I'm an only child, so it's just like me Uh, not taking care of all of these pets that my parents would then have to take care of. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Paul, what was your first contact with Star Trek? So my parents are divorced and my dad and I were always trying to. Yeah, uh, we were always trying to (laughs) kind of figure out like fun things to do. And my dad was introduced me to a lot of different like pop culture. And so at the video store that we used to go to, they would have uh, Star Trek episodes on uh, VHS tape. So you would go and oh, rent yeah, like two. I remember two. that. Wow. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you'd like, you would rent an individual episode of a TV yes. show. <laughs> yep. And it was like very, but that was like at a time where there wasn't many, like I remember that and working stiffs, which was like a Michael Keaton TV yes! show. It's like, right. Um, <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of like, I just remember getting it there. And then my dad and I started going to Star Trek conventions. What? So I really got it into it that way. Um, and I remember, uh, I feel like I have a memory of seeing Star Trek in the theater, the first one, although I I don't like I remember not liking it and being Mm -hmm. bored by it. But my dad was like, watch this. And so he kind of got me in. So it was a little bit of a blurry time. But I really remember the conventions and and having Jim, Jimmy Dewan, Scotty, let me have a sip of his beer. What? At a convention. At a convention? We we saw him (laughs) drinking at a bar at the the Penta Hotel, which is in New York City, right across the street from uh, Madison Square Garden. And. And my dad's like, oh, that's Scotty. And I'm like, oh, my, yeah. And I went over and I was like, Mr. Dewan, can I have uh, your autograph? And he was so nice. And he's like, oh, sit, sit down. Oh, yes. What you? And he signed it and he goes, you want a sip of this? And he gave me a sip of his beer. <gasps> my dad let me drink. I have a sip of his beer. <laughs> that's incredible. It was very, it was very grandfatherly. Like, you know, yeah. it wasn't like get, get, you know, but he was uh, clearly, you know, out of his mind. And, you know, I got the chance. <laughs> Uh, I got the chance to work. I, by the way, if you want to come over here to my house at any point, I will show you my 75 pictures of uh, Walter Koenig when I just had a camera like click, click, click at a Star Trek convention. Just like uh, there, one wasn't enough. One was not enough. Um, but uh, one, of the, my, one, of the, one of my highlights was uh, Kate Mulgrew, who is the captain Janeway on Voyager. She was on my show NTSF SDSUV. And I love her and she's awesome. And, and uh, you know, we every now and then be able 
to like talk to her. I mean, she'd talk about Star Trek, no problem. But, uh, and her stories were great, but she invited me to a Grand Slam in Vegas. That's like the big Star Trek convention. Yeah. And I got to go to uh, whatever the Mardi Gras themed hotel was and, and go treated very well and hang out with Kate. And my God, to be on the other side of that, whoa, so fun. <laughs> like, uh, I remember Rene Abagenois, who played, mm. uh, you know, I forget his name Odo. right now. Odo. Uh, but Odo, yeah. Um, he, we were having drinks and he came over to the table and was like, Look at how much money I got today. And he he pulled out a stack of like it it was it was comically large, like it was almost cartoonish. And he was like, and when I only say it because he goes, This is all going to my son's charity. And it was like oh, so uh, so sweet. And there was like everyone was so nice and and uh and lovely. But I just like there was such a an energy and a camaraderie between these people backstage and, yeah. and getting to watch yeah. the three captains. I was I watched Patrick Stewart. Uh, uh, Shatner and Janeway from backstage do a show and whoa <laughs> it was great when I went to Comic-Con in San Diego and it was a it was it hadn't been revealed yet that um, uh, Jerry Ryan and Brett Spiner were going to be in Picard uh, okay. and so the actors are all backstage and you know just watching Sir Patrick with Brent and with Jerry all kind of like hugging and just like joking and just having this like really cool beautiful little camaraderie and then to watch them walk out on stage, I don't know how Trek managed to keep it a secret from everyone at Comic-Con and everyone on the internet, but just to hear Hall H, like 6,000 people, scream oh. at the top of their lungs when they saw Jerry Ryan and, and Brent, it was it, it was really powerful. It was incredible. I mean, it it is the power that these people have over that crowd. I mean, I watched, I mean, Kate, I love her so dearly. And the way that she just, I don't want to say manipulated, but I saw it the way that well, that Leonard Nimoy did it too. Like, you know, someone would ask, like, what's Spock's first name? And you know, you're like, oh, you know what? I will tell you. Come here, little boy. And then brings the boy forward on, on stage and then like whispers in his ear and goes, okay, you can tell him. And then the little boy's like, mister. And you're like, ah! <laughs> like, it's like, it, it is all, That's like, great. it is the greatest hits. It is, it is, uh, it is un unbelievable. Yeah. And Kate was, you know, like all these young girls come to Kate and they're like, you know, this is the female captain and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it's, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It brings like so much joy to me. It is, there is something that's, that's remarkable and, and unique about seeing people that uh, know what their role is in this mm. thing. And what it means to people, and they know yes. exactly how to play it, and that, and that it's, and that you know that it's genuine. Like if it's not genuine, they're fooling, they're fooling me, and they're fooling a lot of people because it seems like they are able to really tap into that thing every single time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's almost like being a, a a politician in a sense of like you have to you have to dig deep into a thing that you can connect with uh, on a human level with people and. Uh, you know, be able to to yes. communicate that in in a in a realistic way. And I want, and I think that when you take this oath, and I'm going to call it an oath, but uh, when you take that oath to to be a character in a franchise, whether it's MCU or 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 whatever giant franchise uh, you could do, uh, you 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 are reliant on holding that up and, and saying it publicly like I love this character I love this world and there's so many actors who are like I don't want to play that character again I don't think like it, there there's like um you don't realize what it represents to so many people and I, and I have found that Star Trek people across the board get it better than any other people uh, I think MCU is a close second 
but uh, but they they play and they embrace it, and that's what you want as a fan. You want that everything. You want that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, I think they've done a good job of hiring fans. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if Lower Texas any example, there's yeah. so many fans in that cast. You know, it's like we were that's all true. excited to do it before we'd even read any of it. Yeah, absolutely. Now you, so you are not Amy a, a Star Trek aficionado, right? Not really, not yeah. really. I I admire it, and I've always thought less of myself for not knowing it as well as <laughs> as brilliant people that I respect. You've got a lot of movies floating around in your head as a film critic, so I don't think you should think less of yourself for not being a huge <laughs> Trek fan. Well, I did say what on a, a kind of a tiny rant when we were doing an unspooled episode, I think on Goodfellas, about how. The list, the AFI list, the top 100 that we were doing had so many films about mobsters and so many films about soldiers, but it did not have enough films about space people, astronauts, Mm -hmm. people who fly. All we have is 2001. And I feel like there is a space vacuum in terms of the films we Mm. hold up to prestige. I wonder if it's because space is just so quiet and like real life, you know, like, like real life space, the space that we know and that we've explored and the way we've explored it. There's a lot of time in between the drama. So that for mm. every Apollo 11, you have to make up things like uh, gravity or interstellar or whatever, <laughs> where there's somewhat grounded in the real world, but it, it's things that haven't happened yet in order to inject the drama into it. But like, did the right stuff make the AFI list? No. Mm-mm, no wow. No. Wow. I will say that if you've not seen it, the Apollo 11 documentary is one of the most riveting pieces of cinema that I have ever seen. It is basically all the footage that they had from this launch and in space and they edit it together. And I was so surprised by how like, I know the ending. I know how it's going to go, but feeling like I don't know what's going to go on here. Uh, and it was all this amazing, amazing footage. So I think you can you can tell these stories but uh, I think that it's not as exciting enough that we are sending people to space. They are landing mm-hmm. on the moon and coming back to Earth, which is a giant. That's a hard thing. But yeah. it's like, yeah, that's not that's not too compelling. We there's need them also, to blow up or something. There's also an absence of evil. You know what I mean? Yes. Like if, if you're talking about World War Two, you're talking about uh, mobsters. There is the there's the 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 human struggle of that. And I guess we're not as interested in somebody doing something just for a good reason without a bad reason <laughs> to back it up. Like just exploring, like who cares? But Paul, I'm going to tell you, that's why I'm going to get on the record right now and say Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan is the best of both worlds. You got your villain. <laughs> you got your exploration. You got your, you got your big ideas. The Genesis planet. Yeah. It is a, these people are out there exploring, just kind of figuring it out. Oh my gosh, I love this movie. I play the James Horner score to get me pumped up. <laughs> like when when Kirk comes up with the plan. Oh, when he comes up with the plan, he flips after eating that apple and flips open his tricorder and is like, Mr. Spock. And then that music, like, oh, I'm like all into that. The battle and the, mm-hmm. the nebula is a great score. Oh, it's so good. I have Christmas ornaments that are Star Trek II on my tree right now. What are the what are the ornaments? It's Kirk and Spock through uh, the the glass, and when you click it, it says "I uh, ship out of danger." Yes, oh, yes, Spock. What? <laughs> the clip is that long. Yeah. Oh, it, it goes on. Yeah. Oh, it goes on for the whole thing. 
Wait, you uh, got yeah. the saddest part of the movie on your tree? You, oh, you're it, like, what's the most be- emotionally bereft, miserable part that makes me want to cry? And that's what you put on the tree. Not like a con glove, not like a sparkly con nope. glove. I play it for my kids all the time. Ship. I play it for danger. my kids. Well, so Paul, how do you feel then about the fact that the director of this movie, Nicholas Meyer, had famously mm-hmm. never seen an episode of Star Trek before he directed it? Worked great. And kind of had like a maybe somewhat sacrilegious uh, approach to it. I want to read this quote of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chief contribution I brought to Star Trek II was a healthy disrespect. Star Trek was human allegory in a space format. That was both its strength and ultimately its weakness. I tried through irreverence to make them more human and a little less wooden. I didn't insist that Captain Kirk go to the bathroom, but did Star Trek have to be so sanctified? So for such a fan like you, I mean, is that scary to have someone who's admittedly not a fan? Loved it. Loved it. (laughs) Loved it because this is the movie that starts to, I think, take Trek out of the 60s and move it into what it becomes. First of all, let's go back to how the show looks. Uh, Like Paul said, first movie in these like kind of weird pajamas. It's so slow. I've come to Mm -hmm. enjoy it more, uh, especially, you know, now knowing that there's better things after it. But the uniforms, these uniforms, I love these uniforms. uniforms. I did too. Uniforms are great. great. The way that Mm -hmm. they kind of make the ship a little bit more nautical. You have like the, uh, like Mm -hmm. the, the whistles and the bells. I think that you get, uh, I, I (laughs) why would there be so many buttons on it (laughs) what what else does it do (laughs) (laughs) i but i think that there is something about this movie and what i think when star trek succeeds as a feature it tells a really engaging action film it's you know it's an action film that has i i think uh, a bigger uh thought process behind it but it's an action film it's like when star trek kind of falls in my opinion, like something like Undiscovered, not Undiscovered Country, the uh, the, the number five, the one with uh, uh, with uh, Scott. God. Where you yes, God. God. Yes. <laughs> yes. That one, it's like, that's a little bit too thinking. Like that, like that needs to be a TV show and that would be fine. And, you know, like, look, I want to watch Bones talk to his father on the deathbed and mm-hmm. that one. Sure, I'm all in for it, but that's not a movie. Like this has to have a villain. It has to have a drive. And I think that that's when Star Trek is best, when it kind of mixes what makes a great movie, a great action movie, and what is Star Trek. But what about that it doesn't feel like it so much goes forward from the 1960s, but it goes backward to, like, the 1760s, to, like, whaling ships, which, like, oh, Captain Kirk yeah. is, like, a huge fan of collecting whaling ships, to, like, Moby Dick, I love to, to, like, the ancientest of our stories. It almost, it feels to me like this takes place out of time. It doesn't feel like a futuristic film at all. It just feels, like, primal in the gigantic mm-hmm. epics we like to tell. Yeah, I wonder if that has something to do with, I mean, the literally Khan in their world is from the past, which is now our past, but also, it, you know, he's from 1996, but in 1996 mm-hmm. where there's been like massive Gattaca-style genetic modifications. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, if Gattaca the movie really happened to us in 1996, I would have been thrilled because I love that movie. But so if Khan is sort of from the past, but also of the future, I, yeah, of course, watching it now in 2020, the whole thing feels completely timeless because it it all is sort of existing out of time well can i tell you what i thought when i watched space seed again i was like oh man oh let's talk you, about space seed boy, could oh you could you make this 
Trump? Like, could this be Trump on a ship waking, waking up with all his MAGA friends? And then, like, could that be a version of what Star Trek is? Like, we, you know what? This got a little bit, the QAnon got a little bit crazy. We're, send them up into space, and then we bump into them. And all of a sudden, you have this ship. And I was like, I started really embracing that. Like, this is like, I want to see that yeah. version now. I want to see the, the, them bump into him. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is odd. But with would would it be sort of like if we if we met like the Kardashians in the future, like people that had had altered their bodies so much, mm. and then they wanted to start their own world? <laughs> Wait, this is what What's, Yeezy's fashion line is like prepared that's for. That's right, exactly. I mean, cons clothes are basically what Kanye West has been designing, like monotone. These are like skims. Right. They're wearing like tight beige, right. flesh colored things, artfully ripped. They're telling us in plain sight. <laughs> I just want to see the Kardashians go into the Star Trek universe so that there's confusion with the Kardashians. And I want to see who would come out victorious. Because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who to put money on. I do think there's something very sad about Khan because, you know, he is he is genetically engineered to be the perfect person, right? He this is what he has become. So of course it's in his nature to be to be someone who takes over things like, but yet he is penalized yeah. for being a creation. And this is kind of the Frankenstein monster idea. And I, I think that we often look at him as a straight up villain, but the truth is like we created him, we made mm -hmm. him. And then we are being like, well, now we have to kill him. So I think that that's something that the movie and the TV show don't really deal with. And I love that, you know, the story of Khan is how we messed up. Right. Because it's sort of like or if we are the, the crew of the, the Enterprise, like you're going to go and we're going to put you on this harsh planet and you, you can prove it. You can handle it. If anyone can handle it, you can handle it. And and you you leave going, oh, they did it. They you know they figured out this kind of nice solution. They're not putting him in jail, but they're going to do this. And then they screwed him over. And, you know, now they've got him like this revenge aspect of him. And that's the worst person you want to have revenge for. But he is literally the victim every single time, but yet we treat him like the world's greatest villain. And I, I, I'm, I'm upset about that. I agree with you on that because I was thinking that when I watched Space Siege, so for anyone who uh, hasn't watched, that's uh, the original series episode where the character of Khan Noonien Singh first appears. Uh, when I watched Space Siege again, I realized they are, they've come up with what is a very human compromise at the end. Kirk mm -hmm. is like, here's a very generous thing where we're going to put you on this planet. But just like you said, he's not designed to do that. So imagine if you took all of us and took us out of this insane career we've chosen for ourselves, yeah. but arguably the thing that we're all good at and the best at doing or whatever, and and just put us somewhere and had us do some menial task, we would be freaking out. We'd be like, well, I got to, is there a microphone for me to talk into? Or is there like a TV thing for me to do? I got to go, I got to go do the thing I'm supposed to do. They basically go, yeah, you're strong and you're smart. Uh, just go on this impossible planet. You'll figure it out. It's like, it's such a, I mean, it's such a, um, <laughs> Like, I think we talk about, like, uh, the American point of view. It It is, like, it is a shitty way of, like, looking at things. Like, yeah, 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 you got it. You got it. Like, we feel good about ourselves and you got it. And they didn't really put any thought in it. No one checks <laughs> in on them. No one, like, looks at it. They go, oh, in 100 years, I bet you that planet will be pretty great. All right, later, guys. No one made sure they had, like, a full <laughs> library of books. I mean, they have only, like, seven books and two of them are Paradise Lost. They couldn't even have, like, another new book. By the way, why couldn't they just have digital books? They had digital books at this point. They had a Kindle, I'm sure. They should have had plenty of books. <laughs> but with that said, like, every time Ricardo Mansell Ben talks about his wife dying on that planet and mm -hmm. how he lost her to those monsters. 
there's like real agony in that voice, you know? And there's, I feel like his wife is kind of the specter over the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, she hangs over there. Like we have Kirk dealing with like his feelings about the girl that he like kind of liked, but knocked up. I don't know if that's in an earlier episode or not, or if she's. First of all, another... Amy, let's have a little bit more respect for it. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. For the, for the act of procreation. Carol Marcus. Carol Marcus is true Apologies. love, Amy. Come on. <laughs> what's, what's funny about Khan's wife is that this is a character that we never met. Right. She's right. not in Space Seed. Nope. Um, in Space Seed, he's all oh, about. Oh, I assumed uh, it was Homer MacGyver. from Space Seed. No, they they got married. No, you're right. I mean, maybe they did at off the at an off wedding. I don't know why they would why they wouldn't include it because it's like, well, all you have to do is mention mention that that was her, right? Like, couldn't we have just yeah. said that? Like, why do we have to create a new? Well, anyway, uh, you know. Do we think this is a result of, and you know, an official person who knows more about Star Trek than I can, who's maybe on listening in on the Zoom call, can tell me. But <laughs> do you think this is a a, if only a widow? There was such a person. <laughs> is this a widow of the fact that Nicholas Myers kind of did an unofficial rewrite of the screenplay, an uncredited rewrite, not knowing much about Trek and about the characters? Because <laughs> watching Khan the whole time, I was like, this is McGivers that he's talking about, or MacGyvers, or whatever. Because we've never heard about another one. And where would he have gotten another random woman? Well, I think that they've knocked each other up. I mean, they were there for a long time. Like, he's they doing all those push-ups. They yeah, they're that's just the, running the, that's around. That's what human technology can do now when we really tinker with our genetics. I, I just think, I honestly think, like, what's happening in that little compartment is there's a lot of weird sex. There's a lot of, you know, maybe these genetic babies that come out fine. <laughs> okay. But I, I believe that his wife is underage. I'm just going to go out and oh. say that. Like, I don't know Paul, if that's canon. but I'm going to swing here. Look, there there was stuff having to go on there. They had to figure it out. They they definitely ate somebody. They definitely had some underage children and wives. It was a weird they, wait, situation. They ate somebody? You're including that in there too? Just oh, absolutely. Just you slipped that in? Absolutely. I mean, well, have you seen planet. the documentary Holy Hell? Mm-mm. Not yet. Holy Hell, it's a documentary about a cult that existed in LA in the 80s up through the present. And they were like in aerobics cults where they all did yoga together and they all wore spandex and they were all incredibly hot. And the leader was, he looked a lot like Khan, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And he made people get plastic surgery and stuff. And it feels like they just put the cult from a holy hell, a real thing into Wrath of Khan, which oh, I feel really? like maybe all the holy hell people went to see Wrath of Khan because it was just starting to come together, like when this film existed. And they were like, we are mapping onto that. That's like a great way for our advanced society to look and to live. Wait, this was the guy who was, he used to go on the Tonight Show all the time and stuff like that. That guy that had the no. yoga cult? Oh, the, I don't hot, think the so. Bikram? Bikram? Oh, Bikram? No. Oh no, it's a different That's yoga a different cult. One. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of yoga cults in Yeah, this, yoga say, this guy the, the, there's a lot of Connie elements in a lot of cults, really. I was like, oh yeah. it reminds me of also that one where they own like the health food store, that one. A third yoga cult. Yeah. Oh, the source family. Mm. Yeah. That's they're my favorite cult. They're my favorite cult. <laughs> the the idea that a guy that guy went through like all the stages of cult leader. And then at the he got to the end and he was like, uh, I thought I was God. I'm not God. I, just to just to be safe, why don't I? I've never <laughs> been on a hang glider in my life. Why don't I get on a hang glider? If I make it, okay, I'm God. If I don't make it, I'm not. And then he crashes and he's like, Yeah, guys, I'm not. I'm not God. Um, like, no. <laughs> it's it's amazing. By the way, I do have some information about McGivers. Okay. So there MacGyver, was a lot, by the way, MacGyver, what, sorry, MacGyver, sorry, 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 MacGyver, uh, <laughs> she was supposed to be his wife and okay. there was a line directly referencing her, but it did not make the final cut of the film. Uh, ah. the reason why I believe she was not in the film, according to Harv Bennett 
was because she was using a wheelchair due to uh, MS at the time. Okay. And so uh, they felt like they didn't want to recast it, but they also felt like they couldn't put her in the film in that way, which is a little uh, problematic, but I, I, whatever. And so so that is uh, that is the reasoning why she is dead. That is the reason why she's not mentioned and uh, so on and so forth. Interesting. Okay. You know, and I was I was all set for this to be another case of like an older movie just using a woman's death as a way to further a man's plot because that's mm-hmm. usually what <laughs> yeah. women are used for in action movies. Uh, it's not unique to Trek at all. But um, I guess it's comforting to know that there was thought put to adding her to the to the film. It's yeah. it's a little disheartening that they couldn't find a way to use her in her current state. But uh, yeah, well, I, I'm glad we cleared that up because I was like. Who is this wife? Why is it Kirk's fault that she has perished? Kirk has not been anywhere <laughs> near you. But you're right, Sheer. It all comes back to this being this this character's kind of prime directive is to conquer and to fight. And when there's an absence of that, what is he supposed to do? Yeah, because he's been s- stuck on this uh, sandstorm planet for over, mm-hmm. what was it, 40 years or whatever, how long it, it was between the the series and this movie. And just all that pent up uh, rage, I guess, of not being able to, you know, be be some sort of uh, king, essentially. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, if we're talking about like who is the best human, you know, or like who is the most human, like what is really that different between Kong and Kirk? You know, because the structure of it is just that they're both determined to avenge themselves on the other. And they just keep inventing new reasons to get vengeance, and, like adding to it and adding to it. And their personalities don't seem that much different except for the maybe at the beginning Captain Kirk's a little less confident like he gets his groove back Mm. defeating his old villain there's something so interesting to me that the whole time watching I was sort of expecting more of a face-off between them Mm -hmm. and we never really get that like it's all very uh uh it's all very intellectual gymnastics and outwitting one another but with distance between them there's physical distance between them I forgot that I forgot that they never actually are in the same room at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There's no like Kirk pulls his flap open and somebody's, you know, they both got a knife and they circle each other around. Like I, in my mind that happened. And then when I'm actually rewatching right. the movie, I'm like, oh, that never happens, which I think is artistic and very cool and probably not what a lot of action films were doing in 79. Mm-hmm. I agree. And also that, yeah, that, that, that Khan isn't killed with like a laser blaster and a witty quip that like Khan basically kills himself. You know, he's setting off this trap. I mean, it is a very Moby Dick ending. He's setting off the mm-hmm. Genesis to kill them as well. And he just only manages to kill himself. So I appreciate the kind of, I appreciate the tragedy of that. Like, I think I am a person who likes it when our genres get their fingers put in them and messed up and disrespected a little bit. Yeah. Maybe that is why I'm so drawn to this film. I'm also, it made me think about the, having seen a fair amount of adaptations of uh, TV shows to the big screen, there's always a a marked difference in uh, the dialogue, in the way the characters interact with each other. I feel like there's always a lot more humor in the movie version. Yes. Um, There's always a lot, the characters are always a little bit more human and I'm wondering, is it just the vagaries of writing for TV that it's like, look, we have to tell a bunch of stories in a year and we don't have <laughs> a ton of time for people to make a, a bunch of quips like we have to. Everything has to be kind of related to the story and the theme that we're trying to get across here. So we can't really hang out with the characters. We have to uh, just kind of bustle it along as, as much as possible. 
And it's it's always wild to me that when you see a movie of a character that you love from a TV show, it just seems much more relaxed and much more. They just seem like cooler. They seem like a cooler version of this character that you already thought was cool. I think what's kind of interesting when you do the transition right, and I think this movie really does the transition right, is you are arcing a character in an hour and 40 minutes or two hours in a way that they can never really do on a TV show, right? Because at a certain level, even on a drama show, like you're arcing over a season or on a sitcom, you're kind of just resetting it. Star Trek is a prime example, the TV show, of a show where the, the main characters really don't arc. They, you know, there's battles, you know, Bones and Spock and, and, and Kirk and, you know, like they're that three, that triumvirate. But in the movies, they really get to breathe. And in this movie, you have real consequences. I mean, whether that's, you know, Spock dying, whether it's, you know, um, and, and Spock's sacrifice, you know, the, the fact that you can bring in all these elements and the characters do change at the end. So I think that they become, I don't know, they just have more of a three-dimensional persona, especially Star Trek, which is a procedural. I mean, it's cop show in space. If you really want to like pull it, pull it, pull it back. I mean, that's, that's what I love about the movies and when they're really done well, they have personality. Now, can I say, like, while we're talking about humanity and, like, human nature and how this film feels more human, does anybody else feel like it's not that much of a compliment when at the film uh, Kirk says that that Spock is the most human person he ever met? I'm like, I mean, why can't he just be the best Vulcan? Like, why does he have to be the most human? (laughs) Yeah, like, the term human is used as a placeholder for, like, the most uh, feeling or the most emotionally intelligent kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that I think uh, Trek as a franchise has done to solve some of the antiquated language. You know, the reason that the original series feels very 60s is because still a lot of their language and the way that they would ascribe value to things and hierarchy is rooted in feelings that are a little, uh, what do do we call this, human supremacist? (laughs) (laughs) Or things that feel like a little vaguely sexist or, or overtly sexist, depending on what it is. But there's a lot of that that I think the franchise has done a good job with subsequent series of um, a- addressing that and sort of updating the language. Because, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's still wild to me sometimes when you watch the original series and uh, the way that they speak to women sometimes. I'm just like, this is supposed to be the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got me thinking about it when you were talking about how how uh, Khan was designed to be like the best human, that it almost means there's like three different humans competing to be best human in this movie. And then like right at the line, Spock wins. Well, it's interesting because in Space Seed, you know, they when they figure out who he is, so they've, they've revived him from his little pod and they're not sure who he is. And then they look him up and they realize he's Khan Noonien Singh, this, you know, former emperor from Earth in 1996. And he's this you know, this dictator, this tyrant that has managed to uh, take over slash enslave all the humans on Earth, right? It is interesting to me that, uh, first of all, they have given Ricardo Montalban, who's Mexican-born, a Mexican actor, they've given him a a South Asian name and kind of vague South Asian uh, coding in his hair and makeup and costuming. Yeah, they put him in browner face. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize that until now. Right. Like I didn't like, oh, yeah. Like I, as a kid, you just assume certain things like the way that I s- assumed that the guy from Short Circuit was an Indian man. And then sure. I saw him. And <laughs> oh, I was like, Fisher oh, Stevens. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. left me up as a child. Yeah. 
And that one, th- now this is going to sound like a fucked up thing to say, that one made more sense because back in the day, it, <laughs> people were always trying to give jobs to white people and then just put them in brown face. That's why right. we have, you know, Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra. Right. But <laughs> to take an actor of a different ethnicity and put him in different brown face mm-hmm. is very bizarre. And the only reason that I could think of why they would do that is because of a vague sense of kind of Orientalism at the time, this idea of like a Genghis Khan type emperor or like a you know it made more sense i bet to you know have the the ruler of this earth empire be someone from the asian continent than it would from mexico than it would from the americas just because traditionally throughout history that's what we've kind of seen that's the only thing i can come up with well yeah. i think that there's a there's a looming uh fear of like china or asian countries like mm. taking over i mean serenity really bases its story in the fact that like uh, that, you know, that China has kind of taken over Earth uh, at a certain point, you know, and I think it's an interesting thing to go to. But it, it's it's interesting because I also feel like I don't see any race with him. I kind of just see him as like like a conduit. Yeah. He, has a, he has a name that is that is not uh, an Americanized name. He has a look that's not an Americanized look. And I think that that maybe is what they're going for. It's almost like shove it all in there. We don't want to make yeah. it too much of one thing. It's like Earth is blended and everything is blended and it's OK. Like I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. giving it too much credit. No, I know what you mean. It's not like they they coded him specifically to seem Indian or South Asian. It, it's, it was just kind of, it does just seem like it's the name, maybe the weird makeup. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a soupçon of a lot of different, uh, a lot of different ethnicities coming to play in this one villain. Right. It probably also goes to casting at the time because how many South Asian actors of note were there in the in the that, that people would of note in America in the Yul 60s, Brenner, let's you know? get him in there. They get probably they probably asked him, but he probably <laughs> said no. Like they probably, I you know what I mean? Like it was probably written for Yul Brenner, and he was like, no, I'm not doing a TV show. <laughs> yeah, Omar Sharif, and then they're like, okay, okay, we've we've gone yeah, through our list of two. Ex- exactly. You know what I was thinking about when I was watching it, uh, Space Seed and, and Khan? I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of the perfect Once Upon a Time in Hollywood character, like. If this is the Leonardo DiCaprio, he's the bad guy on this show, and then you do the sequel to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he gets called up like, hey, remember that show that you shot in the 60s? Like, right. we're bringing you back. Now you're going to be the lead villain in a big movie. Like, it would be like, it would, it's such a great, like, it's a great come up because in a weird way, I guess at that point, uh, Ricardo Montalban was on Fantasy Island when they were doing the movie. But yeah. it is kind of a fun thing. Like, oh, this character I did X amount of years ago is now coming back. Yeah, especially because I think he was I think it's been documented that he was not bored, but we'll say, you know, like like a lot of actors, when you have a successful long term thing doing the same character. Also, Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island isn't super full of expression or, you know, vibrance. And no, he's like I the can't... host of the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a very measured, reserved, yeah. very well suited yeah. kind of a, you know. Uh, a performance so to get the call to be like hey you get to be this wacky fucking space marauder again oh my god i would have i would have jumped out of my skin he started too, doing right? he, he jumped out of his skin he was doing push-ups he, those pecs almost <laughs> jumped out of his skin <laughs> he got, i mean do you think he had a hand in the costume department he was like can we make this a deeper v i've right. really been working out <laughs> if, if you got if you got those pecs popping out because i had always heard that it was a fake it was like a chest piece but that was actually his body no like, yes no, that can't yes. that was a rumor yeah that was a yeah, rumor was a that rumor. it was a fake chest piece but it and was Nicholas i think Meyer walter said, koenig was specifically like nah that's his chest y'all what <laughs> I'd be so yeah. offended if I were him. Like you do all of that work and people are like, that's plastic. 
This is I, he, blowing yeah. my mind. There's a lot of shots, like a, there's a lot of BTS shots of him now, and you can see it's clearly his body. Uh, he just looks great. He's like real greased up, and it's amazing. He, our it's improv group, up. <laughs> our our improv group when we started uh, doing improv was uh, Respecto Montalban, and it was always right. this picture of a young Ricardo Montalban as a swashbuckler and he was topless shirtless and and he looked so badass and that was like that was every poster we had was always this like sexy shirtless ricardo montabon and he's he he's been having that body for a long time he just hit it in that fantasy island outfit he's he is hot as hell and it's it's all all the more of a crime that they gave him that wig in this movie Mm. but um he what he had an amazing career. He had an amazing career. He did all this yeah. stuff. I didn't realize he was a Broadway guy. I, I, it, it's wild. Like he did every, he did everything, literally everything. Yeah, he and won a Fantasy Tony. Island. By the yeah. way, I, yeah, yeah. I just looked here. He was the first choice for Khan. So, oh wow, this was, okay. It did not go through anybody else. So he was a hot commodity that people wanted right. at this point. I apologize for my disrespect to Mister. No, I, I, I thought it too. I, I thought like I thought this is the one that kind of not put him on the map, but. Yeah, I thought, you know, maybe he took it and and, and ran with it, you know? Who I knows? mean, can't you just picture, like, William Shatner and Ricardo Montalban, like, at a bar here in L.A. fighting for the attention of the same girl? Like, can't you just <laughs> yeah. see them having this history of, like, being at the same party and one of them goes home with that redhead and they're, like, mm-hmm. mad about it for the rest of their life and, like, <laughs> bringing that, that rivalry into this film? I, I love can't it. see I... it. A hundred percent. And I have to say, is any has anyone on Earth had more fun than Ricardo Montalban in this movie? Like, he no, is clearly yeah. having a ball. Mm-hmm. All the long pauses. Like, he is eating this up he's having mm-hmm. such a good time it was it was it was really enjoyable to watch oh, it was when so he meets enjoyable check off when he meets check he's like oh you i never yeah. forget the face <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like yeah. you know mister and we know who it is yeah check off it's like oh yeah. like, no we were we're we're a part of this like it's not a reveal we we're following this and right before that, he looks in Paul Winfield's face and goes, you, I don't know. And then to check off, like, mm, I don't care about you. I'm still going to put a worm in your ear, but I don't know you. My beak's not with you. <laughs> hey, new guy. But putting that in the context of like how the first film didn't do that well, you know, to go to swing that hard on the second one for a performance like that's yeah. ballsy because for all you know, as you're making it, you could be in another stinker like you could be killing this franchise. Yeah. It, and for him to calibrate it that perfectly and just just go all the way. Mm-hmm. But it's it, I think when Star Trek is best, it has operatic uh, in, like it, tones like it is big. It's bro. I mean, look. You want to talk about acting, just look over at your other lead. I mean, when Kirk falls off the chair when his son dies, I mean, you know, like he like he goes to sit in the captain's chair. Oh, I love that scene. And he, and he uh. falls off of it like, you know, and, and the the screaming con to this this guy. I mean, the bar has been set, by the way, mm. same ship just reorganized like Ikea style. Ooh, I didn't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, same uh, same bridge. Just moved everything around. That's so Aww. funny. What about his tiny little reading glasses that Bones give? Do you think he gets like dorky reading glasses on purpose? Like they don't give him cool reading glasses to make him look like a cool older guy. They exactly. make him. They, they're like little Red Riding Hood's grandmother glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf when the wolf is dressed as the grandma. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I know you probably have already talked about this on the show, but. The one thing that I love so much, and I'm guilty of it when I've written anything in this world, is like 
there's been nothing good that has happened after like Herman Melville and Shakespeare. Like all they reference are these things that are old for us. And it's like, there's never been any more culture. It's like, he's obsessed with like Moby Dick. Yeah. He's obsessed with Shakespeare. Like that whole scene in undiscovered country. Like, ah, Shakespeare said it in the best in the Klingon way of saying Shakespeare. It's like, okay. All right. But, but like Shakespeare has traveled. (laughs) It's so fucking dumb, but I love it. It Wait, do- there's one. There's one. There's a reference to one of our AFI movies. Oh, what do they say? Oh, uh, do you remember? Um, it's when uh, uh, Kirstie Alley says that somebody is so human, and then um, Spot goes, "Nobody's perfect." The last line from "Some Like It Hot." <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like those little nods. That's hilarious. <laughs> To Paul's point before, I also like when they reference those, you know, historical figures. They're like, like Shakespeare or Herman Melville or Glinglop, the yeah. Emperor of yeah. Kernar yeah. or whatever. There's one, one of those in there. There's one of those in this, which is great. Um, that's like that's like a, that's like the fifth character of Star Trek. Like yeah, yeah. how New York is the fifth character of Sex in the City. That run of two people we know and then a made up person. Yeah. Uh, it's always it's always welcome. It's always welcome. But it is it does paint like a bleak future of like. After the, after like at, at the latest, the 20th century, just, it's just a barren wasteland. And it's mm-hmm. also funny that they always reference books and plays. They don't, they never reference like a sitcom. Like they could, <laughs> right. They could have mentioned, you know, Lucille Ball or something at some point. <laughs> like the nope. conveyor belt with the chocolates is yep, a perfect, nope. it's a perfect analogy for something that happens in their world. They only live in the deep, deep past. And again, this is past that's old for us. Like, I, I can't remember if this is in Star Trek. They're all blurring my mind right now. But the way uh, where, oh, it's actually in Undiscovered Country where Savick, a new Savick, the uh, Sex and the City Savick, uh, Kim Cattrall says, uh, oh, no, she's not Savick, is she? Yeah. She might be. Oh, were, she, yeah. I think there were three Savicks altogether, right? Yeah, there's Robin Curtis, who I like. Yeah. Uh, Kirstie Alley, who is fine. And then, uh, and then yeah, I think it is uh, Kim Cattrall who says like, the French threw their wooden shoes into the machines, uh, their sabots, since that's sabotage. Like they all have referencing old, old, old shit. Like they're all like, like, and to make me think like if they went to school, my kids are learning about like, okay, civil war, this, right. They'd have to go all the, all the history yeah. that happened after it. They would never be out of school. They would <laughs> they'd have to go back to the beginning. <laughs> Um, okay, this is a question for both of y'all before, because I do want to talk to Sheer um, a little bit about Lower Decks, but while we're while we're still talking movies, according to Star Trek lore, there is there is an idea that the even numbered movies are the good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we how do we feel about that? Other people say the even numbered ones are the good ones, and also anything directed by Jonathan Frakes. What do we what do we think <laughs> about this this lore? I believe that it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm. Really? Uh, I yeah. I I believe that there is that it's it is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I I think of two two three and four are one movie. Honestly, like they there's no time in between them. They just they are one giant story. Uh, and I actually really love three, but three is really perfect when told together. But yeah, I think that there's a self fulfilling prophecy. I think that when you have a director coming on to direct like the the even number, they're like, oh well, it's an even number one, so we know it's going to be good. And then I think there's a lack of energy. That or they do so well with an mm. even number that they get cocky and they go, let's go back to what didn't work. And they go, okay, we got to go back to what worked again. <laughs> like, like, Would I don't you know, work I on an odd numbered one if they asked you? Like if they were like, Paul, we really want your brains for this odd numbered film. Would you do it? I mean, look, I'd have to see like, uh, 
Uh, you know, look, I have a lot of I have a lot of theories on what I would want to do. And I, what 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 cast are we talking about? Mm. You know, I mean, are we talking about the Quentin Tarantino version of Star Trek? Are we talking about the next gen version? Are we talking about the J.J. Abrams? I mean, there's so many versions that could be happening. New. Okay, so Shear's saying, please contact his reps. Please, you know, everyone. <laughs> Let's get in. Comes up. Get in. <laughs> I mean, look, I, am I furious that I was not in a Star Trek shorts? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, what? Come on. There's Get me in one of these fucking things. <laughs> look, still your lips time. to... There's still time. Not with that attitude, though. I know, I know. <laughs> your lips to CBS's ears. Get sheer in a short trek, you guys. That's all I need. Um, well, speaking of the trek that you are in, uh, folks, listeners of this should know that Paul Shear plays Lieutenant Andy Billups on Lower Decks. And uh, we get some revelations about Andy Billups in season two. We won't spill them because we don't know. I don't know how much, when this is going to go. I but, actually um, just recorded uh, the season two and I love the, uh, the, the backstory that was referenced uh, in the first season. A little slightly. bit. Slightly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what do we know from the first season about Billups? Um, I- I've enjoyed seeing the fans reaction to, to you as Billups. What, what do we kind of know about him though? Well, you know, Billups is kind of, uh, you know, in the role of the engineer. He is, uh, he loves his job. I don't know. Now I'm trying to remember what I know about it from season one. I know it feels tangled, what, yeah. right? Okay. I know that yeah. he, he and Rutherford have a great relationship. Uh, Absolutely. He's very supportive, but he has an interesting way of dealing with tone. Uh-huh. So like, they get in here right now. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you know, so it's a little bit of that. Uh, we have alluded to him. He he seems a little lonely in the first season. There's a couple like sight gaggy moments mm-hmm. where Rutherford's like, oh, man, look at Billups over there. So cool. And then we just cut to Billups just slowly eating soup. Just like yeah. alone at a table. <laughs> he, I, I, I guess I can say this. I can say one thing that may play into season two that may not be canon, but uh, Billups is a virgin. Yes, we we did hear in season one that he has trouble with the ladies. I think in the pilot, uh, mm-hmm. Jess McKenna's character, Ensign Barnes, says uh, talking to women is kind of that guy's final frontier, which has made right. me laugh <laughs> since I first read the pilot script over a year ago. <laughs> that is one of the funniest lines. Uh, yeah, so we allude to his loneliness and his uh, lack of, I don't know, deftness speaking to women, and we learn... We learn all about why in season two. I'm so excited for people to see it. How has the recording process been for you? Super great. I mean, you know, that that team is really amazing. And uh, they're such Star Trek fans. I met Mike McMahon, who uh, created the show a while ago. And um, we just geeked out on Star Trek. I love Star Trek. And I love that this show is a comedy that is based in Star Trek that does not, um, like, shit on Star Trek. Like mm. they use everything from Star Trek to create something. And I think that that's a really hard thing to do because it's not a parody. It just happens to be a comedy in that world. And uh, I think they do a great job of that. And yeah. and there's a it's passion. It's a fine line for yeah. sure. Yeah. But it fu- it's still, the, and I've, I've said this before, but I, I think what's amazing about the show is it still functions as a Star Trek show. Yes. Like the the storylines and everything, it still works on that on that level. You can watch it on that level and it's a comedy. Um, Absolutely. Amy, I'm curious for you, coming at a movie like Wrath of Khan or any of the other Star Trek films you've seen, but as someone who's not necessarily a Star Trek fan, just a fan of good movies, do, re-watching them like this, does it make you want to watch more Trek? And it's okay if the answer is no. I'm not asking like for the suits upstairs. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious <laughs> if 
I guess what I'm getting at is like a film like Wrath of Khan, I feel like anyone could sit down and watch. It's just a great movie front to back. It's helpful to have some of the uh, backstory from Space ne- Seed, but maybe you don't need it to enjoy it. Um, do, does it feel like these things stand alone for you? Or I don't know, is it kindling in you some desire to watch more stuff? You know, what I admire about Wrath of Khan is it is such a standalone film, especially if you want to believe that you can kill a character who stays dead forever, which is always where I, I'm inclined. Like I'm, I get very sad when characters are wrangled into figuring out how to reappear again mm-hmm. it like honestly if i'm being really honest i feel like not knowing about star trek at this point is kind of like you never read the bible you know mm-hmm. like there are characters mm-hmm. in this that have become just kind of shorthand icons for like ways of telling a story or this kind of personality trope and it has been so ingrained i mean it precedes our whole generation and like it younger generations are picking it up and running with it now that it has now hit the point where, like, to not know about Star Trek feels like a, a moral failing, you know. And, and, <laughs> and I can know a lot. I, like, I'm I'm okay in conversing about the main cast, but all of the TV shows, I get really overwhelmed, and I am terrified by how overwhelmed I get. Like, I won't really start new TV shows if I don't know that they're going to end at some point, mm-hmm. um, because there's just not enough time for me to do that. And so, yeah, I'm missing out on a lot of those. But you know. I, I think that there's a, a world, though, with these shows where you can jump in as a new viewer because, look, J.J. Abrams was not a Star Trek fan, right? Uh, Damon Lindelof was. And then when that kind of partnership, uh, you know, happened with the first Star Trek movie, I think it was a really good, I think it was a good symbiotic relationship. It kind of creating this, you know, a new person to come in and bring like, what is a movie? And then someone to bring like, what is canon? And I think Mm -hmm. that's always an interesting way to go. And I think with Discovery, too, Discovery is a show that went through a lot of changes and also new people coming in. Michael uh, Shabon, not a Star Trek known entity and and for better or for worse, creates this version of Picard. Uh, You know, so I think that there's a lot of new entry points because it's not living with the old guard. And uh, and again, that works and it doesn't. I, I I am very mixed, and I know probably people who listen to this podcast will be mad at me, but I liked the uh, third new Star Trek, like the Justin Lin, Simon Pegg one, because like, okay, this is, they're doing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit more like an action-adventure thing, and I'm okay with that. Like, I like at least trying different things. I like that so much more than revisiting a classic Star Trek, like redoing mm-hmm. Khan in the second one, which I also really enjoyed, but why do we need to redo it when there's so many stories to tell? Just have another villain. We don't need the same kind of story. Yeah. I, I give so much more credit to somebody who wants to mix things up with an existing property uh, rather than just slavishly recreate things over and over mm-hmm. again. You know, it, it's that it's a it's the weird, you know, the, the fan service idea. It, it's it's a really uh, it can be really tough because you can you can overcorrect on that so much where it's like. Well, I wanted to see something happen. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. want to just like have everything just acknowledged like this guy's here and she's around and <laughs> look now they're doing this thing that you saw before. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I, I talked about this a little bit, but I can I'll talk about it here. I was tasked with rewriting or launching Galaxy Quest again. The oh, franchise wow. I love so much, obviously Star Trek inspired in many ways. And one of the core battles I had in working on that was it was being beholden to so many different masters as far as who says what we want to see. And the battle was always 
more of the same, more of yeah. the same. It's like, mm-hmm. well, no, but but the, the movie has come out in a different time than now. And and I had all these kind of conversations. And I, I remember talking to, because I had to talk to a lot of the cast and, and talking to Sam Rockwell about it. And it was it was interesting how hearing the versions that they were pitching to him over and over again, like it was just the same, just the same movie. And that's always, uh, it, it actually kills a franchise. I think doing the same thing because mm-hmm. you're not like, you're not moving it forward. Yeah, I agree. What about how closely the J.J. Abrams like con movie seemed to map on this one? Like, was that frustrating for people? I, I was really frustrated as a critic that J.J. Abrams tried to make it like a secret in Star Trek Into Darkness that Khan was even in the movie for yeah. so long. For so long. When it, I feel like it shouldn't have been a secret in the first place. Like, let us know there's going to be a con. Mm. Like, that's exciting, isn't it? Like, why would you hide that? Like, I think sometimes he makes things mysteries that don't need to be mysteries at all in a way that angle himself. Mm. Anyways, I remember like writing my review of that and I said it was I said Khan was in the movie in the very first sentence because I was so irritated. <laughs> and my boyfriend at the time was like, I almost broke up with you. How could you do that oh, to poor uh, JJ? Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're like, I don't like this marketing tactic. I'm taking what little control I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm letting yeah. people know. <laughs> because I do hate it when critics like play along with your marketing tactic. Like, why do we have to do that? Like, yeah. why? Why? That's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> But by contrast, like, it's Star Trek Into Darkness. They reveal it's Khan in, like, the first 10 minutes of the film. Yeah. It's, like, oh, right, the right. first 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. of the film. Like, what was the point of any of that? Amy, is there a franchise, a TV franchise that you love that you think has had a good adaptation to the screen? Oh, gosh. Maybe not. I mean, maybe I'm still waiting for the Mr. Belvedere film of my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all... <laughs> Aren't we all? That would be incredible. Let's talk. Let's talk casting for that reboot. Who do you see? <laughs> I think you'd make a great Mr. Belvedere. Well, I wasn't fishing, but I like what I caught. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say this seems uh, this seems perfect. This seems perfect for BFT. If you were my Mr. Belvedere, I would always clean my room. I would always obey all of your commands. <laughs> well, I guess like bad. Okay, like, I got to think of like. Does it have to be a drama? Could it be a comedy? Hmm. I think it could okay. be anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm now I'm really because uh huh. Oh, now I'm really, really rattling around in my head. Uh, because you know, the one that I used to say all the time was 21 Jump Street. I love yeah. that when I was a kid. Yeah. And that was right. really well done, I think, the way that they kind of went off and did that. And you could do that in many different ways. Um, I think. You could redo Buffy again. Could you do movie to TV show to back to movie? Like, mm-hmm. I think there's like a version of Buffy that could be a really cool series. The, the of producer's films. gambit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like there's something about that bringing that show back. It's a, such a fun world that I feel like has gotten to be more explored. But that's not a good answer yet. I gotta, man. Um, but I was thinking okay. that too, Sheer. I was thinking yeah. about Buffy, about a, about a big screen Buffy from. You know, th- there's so there's so many differences from the the original movie to the series. Um, you know, the the original movie is so much more of a comedy than the series was. The series got really was was funny, but also got really dark. Um, yes, and it would be interesting to see, especially to revisit those characters now and to see where they are now. I, like I, I remember thinking Serenity uh, was a pretty good. Uh, I really like the way they did that. And yeah, I, I like the that tone they, yeah. of it. It felt it felt good. You know, Serenity was a show that really came into its own. I think, and 
And then the movie, I think, solidified it. And then unfortunately, it just didn't connect. But that movie, when you watch that movie, it's got it. It's got the goods. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it's a it's a shame. It's a, that one, that was one that I feel like maybe was like a couple years too early. But I feel like Battlestar Galactica did such a great re-envisioning of what that classic world is. It's like you almost want to find that core old idea that you can go, oh, this is something that would be ripe for a re- like enough that you're not connected to it, mm-hmm. right? Like enough that you don't care about the characters. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing. Because I think once you start to care much too much about them, it gets too precious. Yeah. If people aren't aware, Serenity is the movie adaptation of the series Firefly. And I just realized I left out the most important one, which is Mission Impossible. Oh, oh yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's just a perfect, like they took a sort of dusty, semi-forgotten TV show, you know, mm-hmm. in the 90s <laughs> and figured out how to make it so fun and fleet. And like, yeah. there's enough of a continuity, except then they kill everybody in the very first film <laughs> at the very beginning, uh, which I just love. I love on-screen death like that. That's yeah. just like, boom, we're making a real choice. <laughs> I love on-screen death like that. <laughs> oh, I got it. I got it. I have my new. I have my new good answer. Okay. I have my new good answer. Uh, all right. This is what I just realized. This is, I talk about this all the time. I want to see a Rockford Files and I think Rockford oh. Files the movie, and I think you make it like a low key, like it's like it's Fletch. Fletch is so Chevy Chase. Like, let's do Rockford Files. It's a fun character uh, where you could tell really good stories, and I think it could be really engaging. Like, it's mm-hmm. like a real. I mean, maybe that's better for TV movies, but I, I just think that that character is a fun character that could be really done well for a film. Yeah, it could I be. Like a, honestly, it could be a good series of films for sure. Yeah, with new cases and um, you know, it would be a fun character to to see again. Who do you, do you have any casting ideas? Well, you know, it, like I think that that character is. There was a time when I was thinking about it and talking about it actively. I was like, oh, it'd be great to have like Vince Vaughn in that character because it's like it's kind of like that <laughs> right energy. I, one of the favorite bits I love about Rockford Files is like Tom Selleck was his nemesis. Uh, the original James Rock, James Garner's oh, nev- yeah, because like he was the more attractive, cooler detective right. in town, yeah, and they yeah, had yeah. this like thing, and and you know he doesn't use guns, which is kind of a great like mm-hmm. an, again, like it, it all feels right. I think he's got to find that right kind of. You need a a masculine type of a person who also isn't like the gonna throw down. Like you don't want to, you don't want to have somebody like all muscle jacked out. Like you need to mm-hmm. find that like right. You know what? Middle I, ground. I think yeah. Clooney, George Clooney would have been great like 10 oh, years ago. Yes, would, have been, yes. would have been right in the perfect place to do it. Yeah. I mean, like Bruce Willis, like that, like even that, like kind of like that moonlighting Bruce Willis or that, you know, or a little bit old. Like, yeah, it's like it's it's hard to find that character who can do that comedy, but he's cool, but he's t- but he's not super tough. Like, like I love that Tom Selleck could talk down to James Garner like that like that you need that level where it's like oh you're not that cool like you're yeah mm-hmm. uh yeah. I love that do you think my boy Michael Shannon could do it or is he too weird oh oh that's interesting I, I mean, think he could do one. it absolutely I'd like to see yeah he's funny he is funny yeah, yeah. I, I though I think I'm gonna snatch him from my Darren in my Bewitched movie that I'm watching <laughs> uh, with uh with Jennifer Lewis as Endora. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, imagine Jennifer Lewis as Endora, and imagine all the Fantastic. special effects we could actually do nowadays. Yeah, oh, it would be oh, stunning. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much for chatting with it's us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so, so many much. Cool things. Um, it's been our pleasure, man. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And where can people find you? And what would you like to tell them about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Amy and I do a podcast called Unspooled, which is really fun. We actually have a new game show also, uh, mm-hmm. which is available on Stitcher Premium uh, called Screen Test, which is also, uh, you know, it's not a, it, I, I really have been having fun doing that game show with you. I know. It has been a blast. And actually, Kendra James was one of our contestants and did very, very well. Ooh. So um, Not surprising. She killed it. No, it's been super fun. We tried to come up with a game show that's not trivia based because I hate trivia and I always blank out. So it's a, <laughs> it's a game show that's all about improvisation and performance mm. and mental challenges. Uh, so yeah, it's super fun. And also we're just like deep into our second season of Unspooled right now. You know, in the first one, we like watched the entire AFI 100 list. And yeah. now at the end of that, we were like, we can get rid of 60 of these films. It's fine. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, so we killed 60 films and now we're rebuilding it by going on these little kind of side quest mini adventures to like watch, you know, one type of film. Like right now we're in the middle of watching films about fucked up families Mm-hmm. And kind of pulling from there to see like what might make the cut when we rebuild. Because actually we could use your help when we finish our 100 films, when we feel like we have the best 100 films, we want to blast them off into space. And so I'm mm. sure that somebody listening to this, that mm-hmm. y'all will meet people in your uh, intergalactic travels who can help us get these films into space. It's very important. Yeah. yeah. You know, last season we talked to um, astronaut Samantha Christopher Reddy. I don't know when she's due to go back up to the ISS, but maybe we could just put something on a thumb drive and at least she can take it up there and have something to watch up there, maybe. I like it. And then she could kind of like let it slide it out the window. Put this thumb drive in the, the airlock. <laughs> I like uh. that the windows have cranks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Well, thank you both so much again. Thank you so much. It's All been right. a pleasure. I just need to say it for the listener. First of all, that was a great conversation. Thank you to Paul and Amy. Immediately after we uh, ended this Zoom conversation, Sheer then texted us a video of that ornament that he describes, which I feel like in the interview didn't get that much attention. We were kind of like, oh, you have this wild Kirk and Spock ornament. It sounds really long. When he sent us the video of it, that thing went on for like 90 seconds. It's the whole damn scene. It's a scene of a movie coming complete out of a with, Christmas ornament. Complete with the full 1979 length pauses. Yes, yes. There's it's dramatic. bonkers. <laughs> it's wild. So yeah, we, we will we'll post that video. Um, it's It really made me laugh when he, when he said that because I think I'd forgotten about it. Um, yeah. but yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> that was really something else. It's intense. And I want to know where those are. It'd be interesting to talk to, uh, any, any other, um, listeners who maybe have <laughs> that ornament. <laughs> be like, where did this come from? How many are in production? I kind of want one, but it also seems like a very noisy time around the Christmas tree. <laughs> also, I have to say this, that, um, after, after the the conversation proper was done, uh, Paul had to go because he's he's got kids uh, that he had to tend to. Um, left the screen, but left the zoom on. What a power move that was! That was a power move to just walk think- walk away like. Yeah, like <laughs> like he has a um, a zoom butler who will come and shut things down later. <laughs> Maybe he has a Zoom concierge. <laughs> I wonder if he thought he was hosting the conversation and he didn't want to kill our fun. 
I bet he podcasts so much and he's usually the host that it's probably right. just ingrained in him to like leave it going. Right. You guys well, have fun. I have to go do <laughs> stuff, but you, I, I don't want to ruin the party. <laughs> well, uh, this was a deep dive into potential motivations for Paul Shear's power move. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll ask him and follow up because I'm sure you all are, are dying to know. Um, yeah, we will. I promise we will follow up on this. We will follow up. And Amy left the Zoom in a normal way in case you were um, <laughs> confused about that. Total beta but, move. Uh, <laughs> um, well, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with uh, another episode. We're very excited to be back and uh, we're very excited to have you listening. Yes. Thanks for listening. Live long and prosper. Uh, everybody, you know, stay hydrated, et cetera. <laughs> the, other, the other part of the Vulcan blessing. <laughs> Yeah. They, I mean, look at their skin. They clearly drink gallons of water oh, a day. Gorgeous skin. All the Vulcans Just are glowing. Stunning. Not a pore in sight. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale. Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.